0: For an event featuring swimming athletics and gymnastics no one expected it to be the victorian premier delivering a stunning backflip
1: this bombshell from
0: australia
2: the uh, games will not proceed uh, in victoria in 2026.
0: Only a world war has stopped it before. Now the games that unite a Commonwealth of Nations is battling for its survival. The 2026 Commonwealth Games are in doubt after the Australian state of Victoria cancelled hosting the event because of ballooning costs. Just 14 months after accepting host duties for the Commonwealth Games, the state government pulled the pin, saying the cost was too high.
1: The next Commonwealth Games and possibly future Games too are in serious jeopardy. And the problem is money.
2: 6 to $7 billion is well and truly too much for a 12-day sporting event. Uh, I will not take money out of hospitals and schools in order to fund an event that is three times the cost uh, as estimated and budgeted for last
0: year.
1: At a time when New Zealand and Australia are overflowing with sporting opportunities.
0: Uh, We've got quite a few events on at the moment uh, or coming up and um, Whether we need another one, I'm not sure. Over the next decade, Australia, and also to a degree, New Zealand, is at the epicentre of major international sporting events. We've got the FIFA Women's World Cups, the Men's Rugby World Cup in 2027, the Women's Rugby World Cup in 2029, the T20 World Cup in Australia and New Zealand in 2028, and then we've got the Olympic Games in Brisbane in 2032.
1: Is it all too much? Have we hit the limit for sporting extravaganzas? And is the Commonwealth Games still relevant anyway? I'm Alexia Russell and today on The Detail, a look at the changing balance between the kudos of hosting an international showcase and paying for it.
0: So it ends up being a a weight around, or millstone if you like, that that it's hard to, to get rid of. And then taxpayers, ratepayers end up copying it all for what is effectively... You know, two weeks of fun, and frivolity, and, and enjoyment of sports, etc., which is great camaraderie or the, the like. But is it worth it in that cost-benefit uh, analysis?
1: This is News Talk ZB Sports. Andrew Alderson. He's been to a fair few friendly games in his long career and loved every minute of them. But
0: people are watching their pennies, aren't they, on every level, mortgage rates going up. I mean, these are the wider issues, I think, that are going to impact on sport as well. And it does make you realise, I mean, there's more to life than sport.
1: Andrew points out that Victoria's move is not completely unprecedented.
0: Durban did something similar for 2022, but I don't think they quite got down that far down the path that Victoria has. And I think we were so hopeful for Victoria for Commonwealth Games in that, it was it was bridging a new idea of being able to take it to a state rather than just a city, and hopefully that was going to be you know, the future of the games, if you like, that that it could be a bit broader and others could could take the strain. Uh, but it hasn't happened, and I do have fears for the Commonwealth Games uh, as a result of that. I mean, if that's if someone's able to pull out, I mean, Daniel Andrews, the the Victorian Premier, saying two point six billion is going to turn into six billion plus.
1: Now there's some debate about whether that cost estimate is accurate. but Some people in the in the games milieu are suggesting that's way above what they were being told just a month ago. So there's some sort of confusion about how accurate these figures really are. Uh, and there's also questioning about whether the original estimate was in fact
0: accurate. Many are pointing to increased labour costs, but also the possibility that someone really stuffed up the math on this equation. Um, which seems extraordinary, even in the, the time of COVID. Uh, but... I guess he feels he's got to pull out now rather than uh, cop it later. So do you have fears
1: just about this next Games or about the future of the Commonwealth Games? No,
0: the whole Commonwealth Games. That's my fear, is that uh, they struggle enough to get uh, cities to bid as it is. Um, If you think New Zealand looking into the future might do it, but I just think that uh, outside of Great Britain, potentially Canada and Australia... You're gonna to struggle to find anyone else to put their hands up. And if, if Australia can't do it, especially a wider state of Victoria, um that doesn't bode well.
1: There was one stage, and you'd remember this well, where Auckland bid for the games. The you know, it was it was fairly, I guess in those days, low key. We managed it, we got so much back, the place was humming. Is that sort of magic of the kudos of hosting something? Is that gone now?
0: I think it might have done it in terms of what, what benefit do you get back? What's you know, you get the kudos, but I mean, I was thinking about this. Before our chat, and I think about the situation, say, with Montreal in, in Canada when they hosted the Olympics in 1976, it became known as the Big O. It was the Big O because of the shape of it, donut like, but then it became the Big O because I think, what, 134 million Canadian dollars turns into 1.1 billion, and I think it took them 30 years to pay it off. They eventually paid it off in 2006.
1: So, where does the money go? Is there a hosting fee? Is this including building new stadiums, new venues?
0: Yeah, all of that. Yeah, The idea in some respects was to repurpose perhaps stadia of the past when they go back to these venues. I mean, you think about Melbourne, all the, the precinct that Melbourne has. That's, that's the, like To me, it's the ideal place to have a Commonwealth Games because you've got it all there, all within walking distance. I mean, how much do they need to refurbish these, uh, you know, the, the stadia, the structures, etc. I think a big one for me, and I don't know how, how it's all been affected by COVID so much and, and all the inflation, etc. that's come from that and recessions and the like, um, is the accommodation. Because when they have a Commonwealth Games or an Olympics, the accommodation gets built, but that is always repurposed afterwards. And I think it was the same here. I think it might have been Glen in the St John's when Auckland held the Games in, in 1990, um, you know, maybe prefab buildings, etc. but it all yeah, there gets all that stone off and, now off yeah, and gets changed. Yeah. So... That's the B, because they can't do that again. And it's hard to build, given there's only a three-year time frame here till 2026, it's hard to imagine... Um, that they would be able to do that in, in time for a game. Unless
1: they're looking for 2,000 billets.
0: Yeah, <laughs> put the word out. <laughs> so someone got a free couch yeah. or a spare room or something yeah. like that. So bunk beds maybe, yeah. I don't know.
1: But I can see in these straightened times why Victoria would say, you know, OK, it was a great idea taking this to the regions, but we don't have the facilities. But as you say, Melbourne does. and But they've said, no, they don't want to draw it back into Melbourne. Yeah,
0: it, it's a... A tricky proposition because that, that to me seems like if they needed to get a, a to back out of it if they needed a a plan B, uh, that would be be perfect for it. But it just seems like somehow it's blowing out with those those added costs over time, um, and I guess the the setback of the, of COVID and everything that's come from that, and therefore they've they've just opted out. and I think it's a it's a. If, you know, for sports fans, it's a dreadful precedent, but I can fully understand the situation rather than than digging an even deeper hole uh, and finding themselves uh, you know like that Montreal situation paying it off forever. Yeah
1: and no one else in Australia wants it. New Zealand doesn't want it.
0: No no. Um,
1: no. you're you talking about Durban when Birmingham Birmingham rescued, took that it. over yeah and yeah. that was quite successful. Any chance of that happening again, do you think?
0: Well, ultimately, it's probably given that the Commonwealth Federation, it comes out of Britain and the UK, they're probably going to have to come and try and find somewhere to do I mean, you look at London and the, and the legacy that came from the London Olympics, which is one of the more successful uh, legacies of the modern era, I mean, compared to, you know, when you think of you know, Athens as a, a bit of a financial disaster, lots of white elephants there. But London, that continues to sustain itself with those a number of those venues. And it's almost like yeah, you need that, perhaps that population and that um, love of sport, I suppose, as well, but the ability to keep. Refreshing that as it, as it goes.
1: I think the, these are a different proposition now than they used to be back in the day. You know, some people are saying, look, there were great legacies for Australia from the fifty six Olympics and the nineteen thirty eight Empire Games, but the population was smaller then, the cities weren't as developed, communications were different, and I just wonder now whether these huge monster events are, are much less viable than they used to be.
0: I think ultimately the the onus would go on on Britain to do it, and, and that's that's where the Commonwealth. Federation that's the origins of it is, yeah. is coming through there and, <laughs> the and Empire yes yeah out, outposts of Empire <laughs> etc <cetera. laughs> Birmingham to the rescue again. <laughs> exactly Maybe. so I mean Birmingham is a logical choice and that I mean again come down to the accommodation question but given that they're the most yeah. recent uh, holders of it, I mean they could I mean Manchester held it in 2002 um, other cities around there have held it in the past Edinburgh Glasgow in, yeah. in 2014 etc
1: but the bugger of that for us is that we were going to have almost a home games. Yes. I mean, how must the athletes be feeling?
0: Well, they'd be gutted about that. I mean, particularly those in the, in the specialist sports that where it's the, the pinnacle event, the netball, uh, if you like, uh, lawn bowls, uh, etc. Where the, the, where those ones are the, are the key yeah. ones where you know, Commonwealth nations are at the forefront and compete at the top level
1: and our athletes past and present including Tom Walsh Sarah Cowley-Ross Selena Goddard Susie Bates Paul Cole are indeed gutted New Zealand well New Zealand have never missed a Commonwealth Games and they have hosted three of them too their men and women both got gold in the rugby sevens in 2018. Their flag bearers there, Tom Walsh, the defending champion in the men's shot put gold medal
0: in 2018 for Tom Walsh. He's a long... look. It is very disappointing from our point of view. You know, it was, it's uh, it's a home, almost a home games. I know like uh, Australia isn't home, but it's pretty much home, and it would have meant that a lot of Kiwis um, would have had a lot of family and friends go over to watch them compete. Uh, on the big, one of the biggest stages. So it was very much a blindside. Uh from my point of view especially. It's actually just unsettling to not know, first of all, where the host is and what the plans are in place to find a new host. It's our only opportunity to be a part of that wider New Zealand team and I'd be devastated um, for those that might potentially miss out if if this doesn't go ahead. I know a lot of our younger players were so excited about the next Commonwealth Games and having the opportunity to get on the podium and, and lots of athletes plan their careers
1: around those events. The
0: Commonwealth Games is huge for our funding. Um, obviously, most of our funding is
2: sort of based around Commonwealth Games because we don't have an Olympic cycle. So, you know, we sort of put in a, a lot of emphasis on that every four years and try and sort of peak at the right time for, for that event.
0: Yeah, certainly disappointing if you're an athlete and you've got that as an ambition, you know, only three years from now when that would be taking place and a lot of athletes only get one shot at it. So that's uh, whether it be a Commonwealth Games or an Olympics um, before their time is over, not not everyone can be uh, be around forever. The, the Barbara Kindles and Mark Todds of this world. So
1: is the balance out of whack. The balance between the kudos of having held games, the joy it gives to the local population, versus the money. The, the money has become an overwhelming issue.
0: I think so, and I think maybe the the expectations are, are high in terms of what service athletes would get now. I mean, a number of them professional athletes who you know they would have uh, high expectations. Dare I say, uh, and, and probably. Justified in many respects, given what they achieve uh, in their various sports, but the idea—I mean—with the the Commonwealth Games is this, that fraternity element, that um, collegiality on a lesser scale. Say to the Olympics, they've always been termed as the friendly games. You know, it brings communities together within that that Commonwealth realm, uh, and maybe that uh, has been lost a wee bit now.
1: Do you think, Andrew, this is a little bit timely, though, in some ways that? the age of the empire is over. Every time a Commonwealth Games comes up, we talk about this. Should we be actually staging a Commonwealth Games? Well,
0: you could argue that the the concept is, is somewhat archaic now. I mean, have we moved on? I mean, is New Zealand, you know, from a New Zealand perspective, are we at that point or that verge of becoming uh, a republic? I mean, and, that, and it brings that question up again as well. Although, having said that, there are republics in the, the Commonwealth yeah, because they've got they that link to the past, to so Africa, etc. Mm. Um, but... Yeah, is, is that concept actually uh, has become redundant now is, is another question that has to be asked. I mean, that comes up every now, every, every games really mm. that you come to. But when the games come on, people really get behind it and people genuinely enjoy the games. I think there's no better case in point than, than Birmingham, you know, the most mm. recent one, and Gold Coast as well. And that was a, a home games for New Zealand too, which was was highly successful and, and certainly generated plenty of uh, interest and in. I guess people were, were right behind it. Mm.
1: ComGames are not the only people to have these issues this week. We saw the Blacksticks pull out of the Hockey Pro League. With just over a year to prepare for the 2024 Paris Olympics, Hockey New Zealand has made the shock decision to withdraw the Blacksticks women from the world's premier hockey competition, the Pro League. Despite qualifying for the big-ticket tournament, high travel costs and volume of travel has forced Hockey New Zealand's hand, saying they tried everything they could to stay... In it. One News understands players are gutted by the decision. And that is quite a vital tournament, and yet.
0: It is, and I think this is going to be more and more happening in this current environment. You know, we People talk about recession, they talk about. I mean, people are watching their pennies, aren't they, on every level? Mortgage rates going up. I mean, these are the wider issues I think that are going to impact on sport as well, and it does make you realise that I mean, there's more to life than sport. So, no, so, surely, dare <laughs> no, you know, I say, you know, do I say is the is the that, is that a you know, <laughs> sacrosanct from, you know, from a sports journey? But uh, it, you know, I think there's that element that there's, you know, what are people's priorities now? And, and is that uh, one of them? If that means, I mean, hockey has to work out what their priority is and do they want to get to the, you know, Olympic Games, etc. And And, if it means not going to the pro league but competing in the Oceania Cup, if it means going to I think China or Spain to get those last qualification spots, that's probably what they've got to prioritise.
1: Although on the other hand, if they then get to the Olympics and they haven't been hardened up by that extra competition, that's
0: right. It's the, the quid pro quo. It's
2: really the accumulation of a whole bunch of things that have hurt us with this one. It's it's the format. It's the it's the cost. The timing of the matches when they are it actually also means that it doesn't quite support the. the peaking for our pinnacle events and it also means how much given how much cost is involved we'd have no capacity to do anything else uh, and in fact we would we would have a fairly significant uh, f- uh financial hole uh as well just given the cost of travel at the moment
1: anthony crummy is the ceo of new zealand hockey
2: our pinnacle events excuse the um high performance term but um you know the events that we're really always looking to peak for we've got a world cup every four years and then the other. We've got the Olympics every four years as well, running two years apart from each other. And then we've got com Games spread amongst that. So then on top of that, we had the Pro League. So um, yeah, and the Pro League's a new league that was created about four years ago. Um, and so we were one of the inaugural participants in that. So the original idea with Pro League was that it would be more of a home and away league. Countries would tour New Zealand and we'd tour abroad and and it was really to have a, a regular appetite of home and away hockey against, you know, with the best in the world and, uh, you know, with a, with a new commercial model to underpin that for hockey. And, yeah, and then we've had COVID in the middle of that. So that's probably taken the wind out of its sails a little bit. I mean, there were a lot of adaptions to it, which um, didn't really line up for us.
1: In, what's, in what way?
2: Um, so we moved to what they would call mini tournaments. So going away from that home and away content to, to reduce costs, because we're not the only country that's... Um, kind of battling with this a little bit, is that we would all go and play, for example, four countries would travel to India and play there. Um, So the recent tour, we all went to Belgium. You know, We had a number of countries all in Belgium playing the pro league. So it really went back to a, a sort of a mini tournament focus, which goes away a bit from what was originally proposed.
1: So lay out those costs for me. Travel, yes. Finding accommodation,
2: yeah, travel accommodation. So just like you would when you travel, travel yourself. So we've got to, um, we've got to travel there. We've got to find somewhere to stay that's appropriate for us. And we've got to feed everyone. And we obviously you know, pay some allowances and stuff like that. That stuff adds up when you times it by a squad of, you know, up to 25. So there'd be 18 odd players with that, uh, coaches, physios, um, analysts, uh, you name it. So all that goes together. So it starts to escalate quite quickly. So a recent trip to Europe, you know, I think the guys were saying we would we would ordinarily do that. We had two teams go. We might ordinarily do that for three hundred and fifty thousand. Um this one cost us just over six hundred thousand.
1: Wow, that was the Belgian trip. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you did have one exciting result from that tournament.
0: That's the heater. Oh, what a win. And the team at the bottom have beaten the team at the top and they've beaten
2: Argentina by two goals to one. Oh, but look, the hockey, this is the hard part, right? Because the hockey aside, um, it's really, really challenging, but obviously the players, you know, it's great to play against those top countries. There's no doubt they enjoy the thrill of that and the challenge of that. But, so, you know, we just have to take a sort of a, a broader view of it sometimes because we've, you know, we've got to obviously spend within our means. We're not a we're not a fully professional sport. We don't have the big broadcast revenues coming downstream like some of the bigger sports. And that was really part of the pro leagues model originally, is that actually we would get an international broadcast and a whole bunch of other revenues that might come down and subsidise that cost. And and for a whole bunch of reasons, it's you know it's it's still um, a, a valid competition, but just not for us at the moment without that money coming down.
1: Is part of it the tyranny of distance? I mean, it's fantastic, obviously, having a home tournament, but yeah. essentially everyone else has to come, you know, except Australia, have to come from a, a great deal of, yeah. away. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah. Like, um, look, it's a unique thing for New Zealand sporting teams, right? Um, it's just, you know, whether you're hockey, netball, rugby, cricket, whatever, you'll face it. It just means, you know, we, as a sport, as an Olympic sport, you know, we're funded... Um, from high performance sport New Zealand. We get some funding from them and we have a commercial program, um, with some sponsors. And obviously we, we have ticketing and, and some other revenue streams along the way. We sail pretty, you know, we, we're prudent, but equally, you know, we reinvest everything we can into either the community game or our high performance programs. Um, so that's why we, you know, we just don't have the massive amounts of, um, reserves to be able to, uh, keep sustaining something like this at the current climate. And that might change post Paris.
1: How did the uh, players take the news?
2: Oh, yeah, they are pretty gutted um, and we would expect them to be, you know. It's, it's absolutely, absolutely um, expected, really, really challenging for them. But equally, you know, we've we have explained to them why and where we are at the moment. And, um, you know, it's just the reality of um, international sport for us at the moment um, you know, there's there's not massive amounts of funds to keep um, to keep going into these things. Um, if they don't if they don't stack up at the moment, you know, we can't just keep tipping into them.
1: How did the team feel not just pulling out of the pro league but at the same time the Commonwealth Games is all up in the air? It must be very yeah. unsettling.
2: Yeah, look it's That's far from ideal, right? It's, um, you really feel for the athletes, not only hockey players, but all the athletes around, um, around the world that are, that are, um, yeah, probably feeling a bit unsettled at the moment. Um, I see the NZOC were reasonably, um, firm in there. Release saying that, you know, it's not been cancelled, it will happen, it's just a matter of where.
1: The New Zealand Olympic Committee is adamant it will go ahead. It means we're still going to have a Commonwealth Games in 2026, but we just don't know where it is. So that's unsettling for our athletes at the moment.
2: The players love the event, it's a great tournament. You know, it's, it's not a World Cup, but it's a really, really great celebration of sport.
1: That's it for today, I'm Alexia Russell. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders and produced by Mark Jennings and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Andrew Alderson and Anthony Crummy. Kakite ano.